are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. We're kicking off a new series this weekend entitled Dark Sides. As we look at some individuals of faith in the Bible who were willing uh, to face their dark sides, even if that meant facing spiritual, emotional, even at times mental challenges, and how that in the midst of that, they still found hope and help in God. In our stage, you can see uh, the design and the message graphic. You'll see emojis that represent the classic symbols of dramatic theater. And we thought as we examine the ongoing theater of human drama, Uh, as is described in Scripture, we'd have a little fun by contemporizing uh, these dramatic symbols with emojis. Now, we see these uh, emoji characters in text communications, or at least those of you who text do that. And honestly, at times I get confused between emojis and what our family enjoys uh, participating. We, we do this, uh, Jane and I have three married kids that are all over the country, and, and so we do these huge group texts where we've all taken on bitmojis. I don't know if any of you do or have entered into the world of bitmojis. I thought I would introduce you to it today, and, and I thought this would be an opportunity. It's kind of scary, but I'm going to introduce you to my bitmoji character that I share uh, with my family members when we do these group texts. And in honor of the Olympics, uh, I thought I would show you my bitmoji character in some of the Olympic events that we have seen in the Olympic uh, 2016. And uh, although that's as close as I'm going to get to many of these, uh, these events and to a gold medal, I thought I would share those with you, okay? But uh, we're going to look uh, at a true hero, uh, not an Olympic hero, but a true hero of faith, King David. As we're describing for our purposes in this message series, we're going to describe him as the grieving poet. Now, King David reigned as the king of Israel 1,000 years before Christ walked on the earth. He was Israel's best and most famous king. He was the Old Testament character that was most often referenced in the ministry of Jesus. If you think about it, often Jesus would be referred to as Jesus Christ, the son of who? David, okay? Uh, David wasn't perfect, okay? We know that if you've read the scriptures and you know that at times he he made some pretty big mistakes. But I think that David can be an example to us of how we deal with sadness and grief in our life. David, although he was this great king and there's many good things we can say about him, he also, like we, faced sadness in his life. We're gonna read today about how he faced numerous uh, bouts of sadness and grief and how he kept looking to God for strength in the midst of that. And my hope and my prayer 
has been that we will learn from David how we can have hope even in the midst of some of the darkest times on earth. If you would, let's just pray. And uh, I do want to say this, you know, just it's amazing how you plan messages out in advance, months in advance, and then something will happen. And, uh, you know, just this this week, um, received news that uh, a dear lady, Betty Lyle, who's been worshiping here at Southwest for uh, months, maybe, maybe year or so, uh, maybe longer. I don't know. I lose track of time, but, uh, she passed away this past week and, uh, I was out of town. I got back, got word. It just, that, that was sad to me, but her funeral is going to be today. And there's some dear friends here that are mourning that her loss and family. And I thought we'd just pray for them, uh, during this time, but also, uh, uh, recognizing that this, this message is really real and that, uh, this is, this is something we all have to, to wrestle with at times. So let's, let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you for just how your word speaks into our lives, and we're grateful for that. And Father, just one of the evidence is that, that, uh, that your word is really true is that, that it just, it, it, we see these great biblical characters and these heroes, and yet we see their humanity and how they dealt with stuff just like we deal with stuff. And Father, that, uh, that reminds us that this, this book we read, the Bible, is written by you and inspired by you. And, and so help us take to heart these scriptures we look at today. We, we pray for the family of Betty Lyle and, and her friends that are mourning today and be with them even as, during the funeral this afternoon, that you'll give them peace and comfort and strength and that they'll look to you. And help all of us, Father, no matter what loss we might experience in life, that we'll look to you for strength. And I pray that this message will, in just in some way, help every person here uh, learn to cling to you a little tighter. We love you, God, and it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, as we uh, as we jump into this this topic, it's which is you know, really a, a weighty subject. And yet, as, as I just mentioned and even prayed, it's something that either all of us have already faced or it'll be something that we'll face in the future. And as we, as we consider grief, typically we think about the loss of a loved one, but it could be the loss of anything. As Andrew mentioned earlier, it could be the loss of a job, a, a dream, a relationship, or a marriage. And to help me prepare for this message, not only did I consult what the scriptures have to say and look at David's example and what others have written on the subject of grief, but I also reached out to a number of individuals and families within this church who have journeyed through grief themselves. And so in many ways, I'm not standing up here alone this weekend because I hope I can represent some of the things they shared with me this past week. As I reached out and had conversations with some of my dear friends and some of your dear friends that worship here, I was reminded that although we can't ever really prepare for the sudden tragic death of a close loved one, unknowingly we are preparing, or maybe for some of us we're not preparing ourselves for future life challenges and how we might face that in the future by the manner in which we are approaching our faith and our spiritual development. 
Just as in athletics, the way we practice is the way we play in the game or perform on the day of competition. You know, as we've been watching, maybe, maybe you haven't been enthralled with the Olympics like I have, but, but I'm kind of a geek that way. And I've just, I've been staying up too late watching some of these events. And, and uh, you know, the, these, these Olympians, by the way, here's a couple Purdue divers. I mean, American divers. <laughs> they did go to Purdue. I just had to bring that up. But uh, these, these Olympians just didn't roll out of bed one day and say, I think I'm going to compete in the Olympics today. It took years of training for them to prepare for this moment. As one grieving parent put it, I believe it is the same in our faith life. When we attend small groups, engage at church, and try our best to be everything it means to be a Jesus follower, we are practicing hard in our faith walk. Then when we are faced with a crisis and feel depleted, our faith muscles will take over because that's how we've trained ourselves. That is how we can have peace that transcends understanding in the midst of a crisis. So here's the question I have for you as we venture into this subject. Are are you training yourself spiritually for what might come down the road? You know, the truth of it is we can't get through this life without, without sadness and without tragedy and unfortunately sometimes crisis. And because of that, it's important that we take to heart these words this weekend to prepare ourselves and to train our hearts and our faith for maybe some personal crisis that we might face down the road or possibly so that we can be better at supporting and encouraging others as they face crisis in their life. The Bible records that King David suffered loss at numerous levels. His previous mentor, his best friend, and his children. In fact, he had three sons that passed away in his lifetime. On one occasion, he had to suffer a double loss of two significant individuals in his life. This tragic event is recorded in the book of the Bible entitled 2 Samuel. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at a number of verses from 2 Samuel today. But on this occasion, David returned successfully from battle, only to discover that this was not the case for his predecessor, the king Saul, and his son, Jonathan, which happened to be David's best friend. This is how the Bible records David learning of this tragic news. And after he had returned from from battle, he was approached by a messenger from another front. And and David demanded, tell me how the battle went. The man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. These are the words that you hope to never receive regarding loved ones, especially two loved ones in one setting. And in keeping with our title, David, the grieving poet, faced his deep grief by writing a song. The Bible records in 2 Samuel 1 verse 17, then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. It is known as the song of the bow. Interestingly enough, David is an example to us of how the arts can be a source of healing in the life of someone grieving. 
A number of people that either I read about or talked with this past week shared that often it's in the times of grief that writing in a journal or even at times writing a letter or card to the deceased or reading uh, the poetic Psalms, which by the way, many of them were written by David, listening to music, reading books and poetry on the topic of grief, that, that individuals have shared that that's especially helpful to them as they wrestle with their own grief. And by the way, I think describing grief as a journey is a good metaphor. We, we seek to make available here at Southwest fam, to families that are suffering grief these books that are entitled Journeying Through Grief. And, and if you have recently experienced a loss and you think those books would be helpful to you, let us know. We'll send them to you. Realizing, it's important for us to realize that, that as we face grief, that often we go through various stages. Psychiatrists and counselors describe five common stages that people face in this journey. Now, it's important to remember that although there are common stages, not everyone will go through all five of these stages or necessarily in the same order. As one couple I reached out to this week shared with me, as they have had to wrestle with the the sudden and tragic loss of their daughter, these are the words they shared with me. Everybody's different, and everybody deals with grief in different ways. And in fact, this couple shared with me that they've had to learn to give each other latitude that even they have wrestled and journeyed through grief differently. And they've had to give each other permission to handle that grief differently. So as we think about the common stages that that people go through in grief, uh, I tried to take those five stages that counselors will point to, and I went back and looked at the life of David, and what I found fascinating is that, that we can see David wrestled with these various stages, or at least we see hints of those. The first stage is that of shock or denial. As I look back on my own grief of losing my dad almost nine years ago in his battle to cancer, There were times those first few days after my dad passed away, and I was even at his bedside when he passed away. But there were days after a restless night of sleep, I would wake up the next morning and I would say, was that a bad dream? Did that really happen? And I had to keep reliving it to to convince myself that, that yes, my dad, who always seemed so strong and was always there, was now gone. And since I was extremely close to my dad, I had to give my permission, give myself permission to grieve and to not deny myself the opportunity to work through that grief. As one of my dear friends who lost his spouse put it, he had to recognize the three ends of grieving. The grief is normal. The grief is natural. The grief is necessary. It's so true. Grief is normal, it's natural, and it's necessary. King David not only gave himself permission to grieve, he gave permission for the entire nation to grieve the loss of their king. This is what he wrote in this funeral song that he wrote that he asked all of Judah to sing. 
He says, how beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul. For he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing, in garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Skip on you on down to verse 27. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. It's almost as if David is writing this He mentions several times they're dead. It's almost like he's wrestling with, is this real? Is this true? And he had to remind himself and give himself permission to grieve. And not only give himself permission, give others around him permission. My dear friend who lost his wife a number of years ago shared that one of the most difficult things he faced was that on one occasion he was at a church gathering and someone came up to him and said, I thought you'd be over your grieving by now. You see, since we all deal with grief differently and no two personal losses are necessarily identical in the way we handle it, we need to be careful in the words that we say to others as they journey through grief. One couple I talked with this past week who lost uh, one of their children told me that one of the most difficult things said to them, and by the way, I asked these folks I reached out to, I said, what are things that really helped you, but also what are things that were said to you that were really, wow, that was tough to hear. And and the reason why I asked that, I, I, I told them, I said, if this is too painful for you to share, just, you know, you don't have to, but I said, I would love to be able to share with the church some things not to say, okay? Because, you know, it's so easy. And I I know I'm that way. You know, I go to a viewing or I see a dear friend who I'd found out lost a a parent or a spouse or something. And, 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 you know, and I I try to think, what can I say? What can I say? And and I fumble over the words and maybe you feel that way too. And, And it's just helpful to know what are some things not to say. This dear couple shared with me that one of the things that was hard for them to hear was when somebody would come up and say, I know how you feel. And they would think, no, you don't. No, you don't. You've not lost a child. How can you say that? Now, they said they, they understood people wanted to empathize, but, but it was important for people not to transpose on them what they were feeling. These same friends shared with me, though, that what was really helpful to them is when somebody would come up and share a personal memory they'd had about their daughter or share a quality about their daughter that they really appreciated or something, and this was a common thread that people shared with me, there's something that that person had said to them at one time that was memorable. A number of families said that was good to hear. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to keep in mind as I try to comfort those around me that are hurting, is there something in my experience with their loved one that I could share a quality that I admired in them, a trait in their life, something they said to me that was truly helpful? Is there something that you can share with a friend or family member or or workmate that's experiencing grief that will bring encouragement, assurance, and comfort to their heart 
and lives. You know, my, my kind of my fallback when I don't know what to say is just to say, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And sometimes that's all you have to say is I'm praying for you. And then do it. Pray for him. Now, after we deal with the shock and personal denial of the person's death and or possibly the denial of our own need to grieve, sometimes we find ourselves wrestling with an unexpected emotion. And this is something I have had to deal with. It's the unexpected emotion of anger. Now, this is, can be surprising to us when we're going through grief. It might be anger toward ourselves for not expressing or demonstrating our love toward that loved one. And on that point, you know, so many people I talk to say, I regret that I didn't tell them how much they meant to me. You know, I think a takeaway for me is make sure to your parents, to your kids, to your siblings, to your spouse, to good friends, that you tell them often how much they mean to you. Tell them what you appreciate about them. Tell them that you love them. Don't be a person that later regrets that you didn't share that with them. But one of the things that, that, that this anger can come up, it can be toward yourself. It could even be possibly toward the person that's deceased. And, and that can really result in some conflicting feelings. Maybe you're angry that they didn't take better care of themselves physically or they didn't go to the doctor sooner. Or possibly the anger could be toward someone else. Now, I'm not sure if this is what King David was dealing with, and we won't take time to, to actually read the Scripture, but maybe, maybe our uh, media team can flash the Scripture on the, on the screen here. In 2 Samuel 1, it seems to me that David's pretty harsh with the messenger who comes to him and gives him this report. I don't know. Maybe, that's, maybe it's justice, but maybe it was anger that David was dealing with in his own grief. In my own grief following the death of my dad, my sisters and I had to deal with some pretty intense anger that we harbored toward a neighbor of my parents. During my dad's last few weeks in his battle with cancer, we discovered that a longtime neighbor had been stealing from my dad and mom some things that they had had in their backyard. That was not something we needed to learn as we were going through those, that, that chapter of our life. And, and, and honestly, we were able to confirm that, yes, there had been theft that had taken place. And uh, I have to tell you, <laughs> our anger was pretty much through the roof. And uh, we posted these huge no trespassing signs. I'm not sure if that did any good. But our emotions were pretty raw. And, and because of that, we enlisted the help of an elder in my parents' church who helped us calm down and do the right thing when we did eventually confront that neighbor. As I look back on this difficult situation, I recognize that, that my family was struggling with a stage of grief, of anger. Now, the good news is that for the person of faith, that the Lord can enable you to journey through your grief and even in the midst of feelings of anger and great sadness to find peace. There's no doubt that David, in the midst of his grief, needed to be reminded of an earlier time that as a shepherd boy, that he recognized the importance of trusting God in the midst of uncertainty. He had written in the Psalms, in Psalm 23, and by the way, there, there are many times that I'm called into a family's home during a, a difficult time, and I'm just at a loss to know what to say. And I'll just sit there and I'll say, dear Lord, give me something to say. 
And my fallback is Psalm 23, okay? Because if I can't think of anything helpful to say, I say, well, let's read a psalm. In Psalm 23, these opening words are powerful. David had written, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Isn't that good to know? That no matter what we go through in life, that the Lord will be with us. David's grief experienced when Saul and Jonathan died in battle was not the last time he would have to journey through grief. He would later suffer what no parent wants to experience, the loss of a child, not one child, but three children on three separate occasions. And and in David's case, uh, he didn't just, you know, uh, just allow himself to wallow in in the anger and the, the grief, but he continued to look to the Lord to find strength. And following the death of his, his beloved son, Absalom, it's safe to say that David ex- experienced this next stage of grief, uh, this intense times of sadness, what could even be classified as depression. Listen to these words in 2 Samuel 18, verse 33. It says, the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. This is deep, deep sadness. Prior to my dad's death, I'm grateful that a friend of ours in Indiana had shared with me that for almost a year following the death of her mother, that she had cried every single day. And I remember thinking, wow, that's pretty intense. And I also thought to myself, I'm glad I'm not a woman because I'm probably not gonna feel that way. But the truth of it is, after my dad passed away, I found myself crying almost every day for a year. In fact, uh, one of the things that I read when I was going through my grief, it says that grief can be like the waves of an ocean, that it can come on you in an unexpected way way and at unexpected times. And that would be the case for me. I'd be driving down the road and just happy as can be listening to to talk radio or music and a song would come on or some comment would be made. And all of a sudden I would feel a wave of emotion being reminded of my dad. And I would have tears well up in my eyes and I'd think, wow, where'd that come from? And some of you say, well, you're just a crybaby, Roger. Well, maybe I am. But the truth of it is, that was my experience. And if some of you find yourself having intense, prolonged periods of grief, understand that's normal and that that's common. But it's important for us to understand that we're not going crazy and that if we keep our eyes on the Lord, if we keep reaching out to Him, if we keep clinging to the promises of his word, that he will see us through it. In Psalm 6, verse 2, David's describing this intense pain and sadness. He says, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. 
My soul is in deep anguish. I mean, do you sense the intensity here? How long, Lord? How long? I'm worn out for my groaning in verse six. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. One of the things that I found consistent upon the individuals that I talked with this past week is that certain scriptures really spoke into their life in profound ways. And although they shared different scriptures, it was interesting. There was a surprising scripture that came up from three families that I talked to. And it was a surprising scripture for me that in the midst of their grief, they found great strength and comfort in this passage. I want to share it with you. It's in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, rejoice always. And that's interesting. In the midst of sadness, this was the passage that spoke to them. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As one parent who lost a child shared with me, They came to recognize that in the midst of their pain, sadness, and dark days, that they could continue to experience joy and peace if they chose to continue to look to God for strength in prayer and to give thanks even in the midst of sadness for the time that they'd had with their child. You see, along with sadness and depression, it's not uncommon for someone to, to also feel guilt for not being a, a better son, a better daughter, a better sibling, a better spouse or parent, or regret for not saying, or at times finding themselves uh, a loss for words. But also in the midst of that, we can also experience another stage, that of trying to bargain with God. We see that with David after the death of his son, Absalom. We see that he tries to bargain with God. In 2 Samuel 18, verse 33, he says, If only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. This is another common emotion and stage of grief. I'll never forget my uncle saying to me immediately after my dad died, It should have been me and not your dad. Now, although that was his grief, it wasn't especially helpful for me to hear him say that. And yet I recognize that was his grief speaking as he felt guilty that he had lived longer than his younger brother. Now, although this is a common stage of grief, it's important for us to be honest with God about what we're feeling and processing in our heart. Let's remember that God uh, is big enough to handle our questions. Remember, David said to God, how long, Lord, how long do I have to, to deal with this? And God's big enough to handle our questions and our honest complaints at times. It's also important for us to reach out to to trusted friends, a church leader, a small group leader, a, a grief support group, maybe provided by hospice or a local church or groups like Compassionate Friends or or Grief Share, to express our hearts and our thoughts to others. You see, so much of what we wrestle with in grief is at the heart level. As one writer put it, perhaps the most important truth I've learned is that healing in grief is heart-based, not head-based. That's why at times we feel irrational thoughts because it's a heart issue, not a head issue. Another writer put, there's no way around the pain that you naturally feel. When someone you love dies, you can't go over it, under it, or around it. Going through it is what will help you heal. You see, you and I can decide how we will go through 
difficult times? Will we go through it clinging to our faith and being open and asking help from those around us? And as one person shared with us, week, they wanted to make sure that as they worked their way through grief, that they honored their loved one's legacy by furthering values that their loved one treasured. There's a fascinating thing that happens when someone suffers a great loss. They'll either draw closer to God, or unfortunately, sometimes they will begin to resent God and turn away from Him and even turn away from those that might be remind them of God. If there's nothing that you hear me say this weekend, here's what I want you to hear me say. When you face a challenge in the future, when you go through a hardship, when you go through a loss, when you go through a crisis, make up your mind now that during that difficult time, that instead of running from God, that you will run toward him, that you will cling to the promises that he gives in his word, promises like the one in Psalm 34, verse 17. It says, the Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted or near to the brokenhearted, some, some passages say. He, uh, some translations say. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Please remember to call out for help. And remember that the Lord is on record of saying that he is near or close to the brokenhearted and he will rescue those whose spirits are crushed. Now, as we work our way through shock, denial, anger, sadness, depression, bargaining, we eventually, with God's help, will get to the stage of acceptance. As we shared in a recent message, David's faith was demonstrating his ability to accept the sad new reality that in his family, the death of his infant son. David shared with those who were shocked by his ability to go on with life and his responsibility to others, he said, but why should I fast when he's dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. For those of us who've lost family members who've trusted Christ, we're reminded that we can't bring them back. But in faith like David, we can look forward to seeing them again. As I think of my dad, who's been, who has gone before me. Sometimes to this day, nine years after he's passed, when I'm praying, I'll, I'll be praying through our family members and I come to my dad and I'll just say, Lord, would you give him a hug right now? And just let him know how much I love him and how much I respect him. You see, as much as I look forward See, it's been nine years, I still cry. As much as I look forward to seeing my dad someday, I even look forward more to seeing the one that my dad taught me to trust. The one who gives me hope that I will see my dad and that you will see your loved ones that have gone before us. In just a moment, we're gonna conclude our time together with a time of communion. We're gonna remember the one that Scripture said was known as the man of sorrows, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who was willing to embrace the sadness 
of the human condition, even grief, so that we can have a relationship with the Father that will never end. And as we take communion this morning, we're going to hear a beautiful song. And my hope and prayer is that this song will wash over our hearts and our souls. And that the wonderful thoughts of this song will bring of not only seeing the loved ones that have gone before us, but that, that we will even more importantly see the one that we remember every week when we take communion, the one that we follow. So as we take communion, as we take the bread to remind us that Jesus came to this earth and had a real body and, and walked on this earth, as we take the cup to remind us that he was willing to go through the grief of the cross and the suffering of the cross, let's look forward to a day that we won't, we won't just see him in our, in our hearts with faith, but that we'll see him face to face and that we'll be able to touch him and, and give him a hug as we maybe hug others that have gone before us. And so as we take communion today, let's realize that, that this is, this is a, maybe symbols, these, these, this bread and this cup, but it points us to a reality that we can bank on. It points us to the, to the one that we're trusting to give us a life that's eternal, a life that goes beyond this life. Let's cling to him today. And let's cling to him from this day forward, the one that we trust. Let's pray again.